Darby Cast Monday Sports live on a recording that you're hearing after the fact with Matty J. This is a remote recording. Matty J has his own microphone and he is calling in. This is science and tech to be cautious. And the jury's still out on everything going on in the world. But at the end of the day, Kyle is pretty immunocompromised. And so we just can't have anyone showing up here and wrecking his potential to surf. So, Matty J, it's good to have you here remotely. Talk to me. We're back. Brother. You know, that 800 number was a little tough to navigate, but luckily Kyle's got the touch of a rapist and guided me right through it. So happy to be on the airwaves with you, brother. Touch of a rapist, incredibly rough. Gets the job done. That's Boy, right. we're going to have to cut this one out. No, you leave it in. You leave it right in there. Smart. How we doing? Good as ever. I had, I mean, you heard it. You hit me up after the Illuminati Mike podcast, which was a thing of beauty. How lucid does that guy disco? You know, I've heard of that guy for a couple of years now. His, uh, his name's been going across the, the, the internet and in some dark web chats. And I, I got to be honest, I don't know how you got him on here. It's kind of like that show, The Blacklist. He's on it. He's on a couple of lists, quite frankly. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what bounty you had to pay to get him on here, but I'm, I, I think we're all privileged just to be able to get a little bit of an insight to that world. I don't know if we're ready for it, but if you can open up your eyes, ears, and, and pocketbooks and start you know, subscribing to the DarbyCast, you might get a little more. That's not a bad series of analytical calls in the slightest. And you're totally dead on. He is a pro. And the fact that he is of the mind that the Illuminati should fear him and not the other way around, maybe he's right. He's got info. And, you know, my services are a little bit more pro bono, a little a la carte. So I can't necessarily command um, <laughs> a lot of the, uh, the things that he does. Basically, you want to get uh, Illuminati on the show, you go to him. You do what you need to do to get his ass here. For me, I'll call in, I'll bus in, but I'm just here to bring some, some good love. Smart. Well, listen, it's Monday. It's sports. Let's jump into a couple developing stories that really aren't that important in the grand scheme of things. Check that. Or are they? Boom. That's Darby cast for you. Blow the lid off of the sewer, the manhole that is covering the dark, dank world of sports. Right. Drain the swamp, Pringles. Once you pop, you can't stop. There's not a lot of stories anyways, but we're going to do the most with what we can. Yeah. And, uh, and let's just hit, you know, rapid fire. Let's do a little PTI. What you got? Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, challenging each other to a throw off, seeing who has a stronger arm. And part of me, I want to just kind of turn it over to you. But before I do, you remember the John Elway Vortex commercial where he threw a Vortex out of Mile High Stadium and then said nerf or nothing, because that was a big part of my childhood. Right. Kind of like Napoleon Dynamite, where his uncle's like, see the mountains over there? John Denver just, just chucked it right over it. Yeah. I mean, Uncle Rico. There's no way that ball flew as far as John Elway threw it, but who am I to judge? 
you don't know that. That was back in a time when CGI wasn't nearly as prevalent. And John Elway, he was using the thin air at mile high to his advantage. True. Home field advantage. Right. So let's talk about Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. You know, Big Pat is near and dear to my heart because he is the anchor of my fantasy team in our keeper league. Yeah. Late round pickup. A lot of homework done there and uh, no one can doubt you for it. So well earned. But in this throw off, remember the old Pro Bowls that they used to have where they would do the 40 yard dash and you'd get just some speedsters out there. Like you would get Amon Green, you would get Dante Hall, you would get basically some punt returners, some kick, you know, Devin Hester's. And they'd all line up and it's like, hey, for the Pro Bowl, who's got the quickest legs? And I'm going to use that same strategy and connect this to this throw off in the sense that I think Patty Mahomes has too much to lose. And in those 40-yard dashes when they used to do it in the Pro Bowl, I don't think they were given full juice. I think they were taking some steam off of it, not enough mustard on those legs. And the fastest guy didn't win because... You know, you just go full torque, you pull a muscle, you tear a ligament in a Pro Bowl and lose a ton of money. That's not a good look. What has Pat Mahomes got to prove at this point? He just raked in half a billion dollars in a contract. And exactly. what if he just ripped his shoulder out of his socket? Just because, Tommy Johned it? Yeah, that would be... Bad look. High risk, low reward kind of situation. And Josh Allen, is he even in the conversation of top 10 quarterbacks in the league? Not even top 10 paid. I think he's still getting most of his income from Subway commercials. So it's in his best interest to throw that thing as far as he can imagine. Good on Subway. They needed a new new guy in the mix. Jared really hurt that brand. But going back to cannons for arms, when I think about NFL all-time cannons. I like this. Go ahead. I remember when Michael Vick came into the league and he was putting on a little bit of a showcase. And I think Vick was probably one of the greatest athletes to ever play the position, just in terms of being a raw prototypical beast. But he could take, and he was a lefty, mind you, he could take a knee at the 50 and nonchalantly chuck it through the uprights. He had a hell of a moon ball. When I think of cannons, I think of just absolute force, just missiles. I'm not saying that Mike Vick didn't have that. Mike Vick can throw it far, but I felt like there was a lot of hang time on that ball. Sure. So when I think of like, you know, some recent big cannons and again, not great quarterbacks and possibly mental midgets, I think of Jay Cutler. Wow. Smoking Jay, huh? I'll throw one more at you in the same category of mental midgets, big cannons, Ryan Leaf. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time, and that's really not that surprising. What about Brady Quinn? I know Brady could put up a lot of numbers on bench. Did he have an arm? Uh, Notre Dame, Brady Quinn? Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like he didn't. But again, I'm not here to to tell the host no. Right. Yeah. Smart. But what about Kerry Collins? Just the master of taking a 15 step drop and saying coverage, what coverage? I mean, he made it to a Super Bowl. He was basically in the Gruden's Monday morning quarterback camp. So it's possible. I mean, he was, I think he was a functional drunk though. And a lefty didn't shave for a while. A good guy. Nothing like being a functional drunk because being a regular drunk, what a mess. Nobody wants to spend any time with you. But if you're taking that onto the field and you're saying, I'm feeling loose enough to 
let anything fly. And if Jeremy Shockey is anywhere near it, then maybe it'll happen. Yes. Yes and yes. I think to answer your question, Patrick Mahomes could win this easily, but I think that he takes a little steam off of it because he has nothing to prove, like you said, and way too much to lose. And I think that Allen wins by about 10 yards. Do we dare take a stab at how far these guys are throwing? Let's say it's, you know, I think, I think Allen could possibly chuck it 70 yards. Yeah, I was about to say 70. And all of this, when I hear long-distance football competitions, I can't avoid thinking about Andy Reid punt pass kick. No smoother option in the game. Everybody's seen that video. And if you haven't, take a timeout. You might want to pause the podcast right now and look up Andy Reid youth football, Andy Reid punt pass kick in YouTube. And you'll see he was like, what, 10, 11 years old, but had the body of a 46-year-old truck driver. I did see this. And he was just a man amongst boys. I don't know what he was being fed, (laughs) but I feel like he would routinely drink whole milk and then eat the cow all in one sitting. What a pro. Right. Hats off to his parents not being uppity vegans. In this day and age, that kind of a thing wouldn't happen. No, no. You're not going to get an Arian Foster, you know, uh, grandstanding conversation about how if he just becomes a pescatarian and stays away from meat that he's going to survive in the NFL. I think it was 18 months later he retired after he took that stance. (laughs) You take enough hits by not protecting your body with that type of nutrition. Adios, amigo. There's only so much that a dehydrated kale smoothie can do for a guy. And Arian Foster, he was like a top three back for fantasy purposes because the Texans were utter garbage. They were running David Carr. Or was it Schaub? I think it was a Schaub. Am I thinking Foster too combo. far back? You went too far back. You're still on the, on the Canon conversation. Not uh. to say that Carr had one, but. <laughs> well, let's, let's move on from the strength feats, kind of the world's strongest man of the NFL. Yeah. And let's go to hashtag we want to play, which is the social media trend led by some pretty vocal athletes who aren't necessarily medical professionals, but they are pretty cool guys. So you might want to take their word on what they're feeling. So I think we're talking about here certain athletes that are just saying, forget all the political nonsense, all the medical nonsense. We're tired of hearing about all this. We just want to get back to work. And like most able-bodied youth in America that are tired of quarantining and just want to get back to life. And they're big believers in herd immunity and just opening the world back up again and uh, maintaining some sort of normal lifestyle. Well, Um, you remember on our last sportscast, I told you about Russell Wilson. And this is getting reported on, I'm looking at something from Adam Schefter on July 19th. Shefty? And... I told you this, what, two, three weeks ago? Here's Russell Wilson's quote. I am concerned. My wife is pregnant. NFL training camp is about to start. There's still still no clear plan on player health and family safety. We want to play football, but we also want to protect our loved ones. Hashtag, we want to play. I told you that two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Did I not? You did. But I think that ties well into your 
your pros here. So Russell Wilson, two-time Super Bowl visitor, one-time winner, and uh, married to Sierra, who's a multi-Grammy award-winning artist, both of them with a combined net worth of probably north of $150 million. I don't see why he would have an immediate urgency to get out there and play, <laughs> you know, right off the bat. But, you know, you look at the rest of the league, I think he's probably in that 1% of income. Wow. And, and the rest of the league doesn't get paid unless they play. So you're calling Russell Wilson a one percenter. Yeah. Call that. So, I mean, the rest of the league, they're just young guys. They're getting either the veterans minimum or they're get you know, they're rookies or second year players. And they're not going to get a dime unless they play. The NFL's pretty intelligent that way, unlike other major league sports, where unless you're out there and taking hits and bringing the company money by playing on national television, you're not going to get a dime, a cent. You can't pay your rent. You can't feed your kids. You can't, you know, hook up your entourage. You got problems. So they want to play. Well, you know who's going to, you know who has a golden opportunity right now is Vince McMahon and the XFL. Does the XFL not have the most wide open lane to snipe guys and say, listen, we can put advertisements on your jerseys. Your contract is one thing, but you will be the equivalent of a football NASCAR. You can be Johnny Football presented by Arby's and Pornhub, and you're going to make cash if the NFL doesn't go. Because it's not like Vince McMahon is going to shy away from bringing out the heat. He's been putting out world-class entertainment for years. Talk about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Talk about The Undertaker. Mankind. Talk about Rikishi. Goldberg? Okay. Booker T? You want to talk about China? China! R.I.P. Is China dead? Confirmed. Okay. Um, does the XFL have a future for this hashtag we want to play? Do they have a role in this? They just started way too soon. I think they missed an opportunity that they could have never foreseen, but they just filed for bankruptcy and basically uh, quit less than a year ago in the AFL before that. So I think they missed their opportunity just by chance or fate, whatever you want to call it. But there's no way they can come back in now and be legitimate. Vince McMahon's in court with the commissioner who's suing him for wrongful termination. It's, it's not a good look. Right now, the NFL is the only company and they're the only ones that could pull this off. We'll see what happens. Okay. That's unfortunate because anything Vince McMahon wants to do, I support it. So if he would like to run with the idea, I know I kind of floated it out to Dana White at one point, the whole floating Coliseum of Atlantis where we have gladiator fights with lightsabers and Tron magnetic energy discs. I feel like McMahon could find some investors, strong arm them into a deal and say, let's get an Undertaker v. Kane matchup out on the water, brother versus brother. And then you get Hulk Hogan in there saying, brother versus brother. <laughs> I'd love that. That'd be, I mean, that, that's so solid. Um, I don't know if any of them are going to be holding a football, but it's, we'll see what happens. How upset is Dan Snyder and the entire Redskins organization going to be if they don't play this year? If they 
got taken to the cleaners by the social justice mob and have to, I mean, they're going to change their name. I believe right now they are in a trademark dispute trying to snipe a new team name that they really fancy. But the Redskins, I mean, if you don't play this year and you just you change up that name, maybe the NFL, maybe the world just collapses and the NFL isn't a thing because nothing's a thing anymore. Does Dan Snyder take a hard look at himself in the mirror and just say, why? Why did I do it? Why did I capitulate to these fat chick bloggers who are so angry at everything? I'll just jump in here. First things first, let's not pretend that Dan Snyder and friends didn't have all of their vacation rentals and homes furnished by Wayfair. Wow. Second thing second, I think that if the Redskins didn't play this year, it's in their best interest. Meaning if the NFL didn't have a season, it actually behooves them. And I'm going to go to baseball for this. Look at the Houston Astros and how they essentially got called out for cheating their way through two national championships. And fill me in on this. On how the Houston Astros cheated? I don't know anything about baseball. Okay. Well, that's why I'm here. Monday sports. Smart. Basically, the the Houston Astros... um, Kyle, put up a logo of the Houston Astros. I know nobody can see it, but I'd appreciate it if you did that. Go on. And if I cut out, I'm I'm on the five freeway right now, so just bear with me. But essentially, they got video footage, you know, Belichickian footage, and they were able to steal signs from catchers and pitchers of opposing teams. And so they were aware of what pitches would be coming their batter's ways in games to come. And when they were able to identify a pitch that a batter was feeling juicy enough towards, they would use drums in the outfield and hit them a certain way to nod off to their batters that basically now is the time to point out like babe in center field and just slam it. And so they had amazing statistics that year. They cheated all the way through. And the one defining moment where essentially all your proof is in the pudding that they cheated was when Jose Altuve blasted, I think like a three run homer in in the world series, he was circling the bases and I think it was a game winner. So in that moment, when he comes across home plate and the entire bench clears and they jump on top of him and, and start, you know, ripping him to shreds and hitting him over the head on his helmet, he started shaking his finger like Dikembe Mutombo, like, no, no, no. And he's holding his, his Jersey, like don't tear my Jersey off because underneath that Jersey was a microphone and, and it's basically plugged in telling him when to swing. I tell you what, to move that back to Washington, I was going to say, how are you going to skip over stealing signs in baseball? They needed to dress it up a little bit. Oh, I know. And when you can't have steroids, sometimes you got to talked about angels in the outfield and giving a huge signal. You got Mozambique drummers in the outfield instead. Well, when general manager George Knox goes up to, was it Tony Danza? And he's like, Listen, you got ninja with you right now. <laughs> Why couldn't the Astros have done some kind of tasteful, uh, let's just say, extension of that? Because then everybody's for it, right? If you're doing this too scientifically and you're not utilizing Danny Glover, Christopher Lloyd, a couple other guys, how do you expect the public to deal with that? There's but you probably want to bring this back to the Redskins. I have no idea how you're going to do this. There's a lot to unpack there, and, and I'm having to really put together a Rubik's Cube of stories. But I just love 
the uh, the Glover impersonation, <laughs> and I'm still a little stuck on that. But I'll do my best to weed my way through it. So I'm going to address that first, and then I'm going to magically find a way to tie this all back together. Yeah, smart. Yeah, if everybody was on the up and up, and there was some ancient alien theories about how we could tie that into baseball and have some Aztecs come on out and bunt, that'd be that'd be great. Look no further than Illuminati Mike, because <sighs> chances are that's already been happening for quite some time, hidden in plain sight. Upcoming Friday, folks, part two. Don't miss it. Catch it now before there's a fee for it. Quite frankly, name a price and I'll pay it. That was so damn captivating. I mean, that guy, he just has a silky, silky tone. I don't care if he was spitting out nonsense or things that I'd never heard of before in my life. I'll take it at face value. I believe it. It's my new religion. There is so much of what he was dropping that I had no, absolutely zero frame of reference. But did it sound really cool? 100%. And so am I going to cruise around on that journey with him? I don't see why not. Yes. So back to Washington. Essentially, if they didn't have a season this year, much like the Houston Astros have had a lot of time to kind of do a lot of PR work so that people forget about this. They're focused on coronavirus. They're not as mad as they were about essentially stealing a World Series from the Dodgers. If you do a whole year of promo for like, hey, here's our new team name. Here's how we're much more culturally sensitive. What did you, what was your suggestion for the new team name, by the way? The Washington Strong, comma, Independent Women, parentheses, don't need no man, brought to you in part by Susan B. Anthony. It's not as punchy as some of the other things that are getting thrown out there. But again, they've got a whole year to figure that part out. And they get some real nice graphics, maybe Susan B. flexing on the helmet. And who knows, maybe wearing an apron that says kiss the cook just to throw off the opponents. I'm not sure. But I think it does them a ton of good. The Native Americans can focus on another issue that has nothing to do with football and pigskins and redskins and whatever. We're all one skin, America. And to get back to Danny Glover, I'll give you a lethal weapon. I'm getting too old for this shit. You're talking lethal weapon? Damn right I am. Wow. What's Mel Gibson been up to? Mel Gibson? I heard a reference to him this week when they were talking about, we're getting a little off topic, but it, and it's not sports related, so I apologize. It's but all sports. Fair enough, because I'm going to talk about Nick Cannon. We'll go back to drumline. He played during halftime of sports. It still counts. Really Where, strong game face. Yeah, in, so, in drumline. drumline, yeah. He was so pissed looking when he was just ripping it, but continue. Nick Cannon recently just got fired from Viacom for some anti-Semitic remarks, and I can't believe you didn't actually tune in on this with Illuminati Mike on last Friday, although I think both of these things happened simultaneously, so it would have been hard for Mike to comment on it, although Illuminati Mike is from the future, so he should have known it was going to happen, and I'll leave that alone. But um, (laughs) with, with that being said, Nick Cannon got fired, and how am I going to carry this back in. Let's backtrace it. So Nick Cannon, Mel Gibson, Lethal Weapon, Danny Glover, Angels in the Outfield, somehow related to the Washington Redskins, kind of a little bit of a PR whodunit involving the Astros. Are any of these things connected? Yes. Nick Cannon and Mel Gibson both took a lot of heat and both paid a heavy price for anti-Semitic remarks. And everybody knows that Danny Glover's Jewish. Yeah. Is Danny Glover a Black Israelite? You tell me. I don't know. I'll have to ask Illuminati Mike on that on hour number three, because hour two is coming out this Friday. Yeah. 
And it's just an extension of the first conversation, but boy, did it take off. The caffeine was hitting him real hard. I brew a mean coffee that's, I mean, you know this. When I've been in studio and Kyle served it up, that ice cold brew, I mean, that bite is just taken off of it. You got no bitterness. It's smooth as the day is long. PTI, next subject, mail time. Aaron Andrews, Rachel Nichols. So go ahead, tell the people what's going on with Rachel Nichols, ESPN. So basically, Rachel Nichols, uh, over the past 10 years, we've been making hard jokes at this nonstop because uh, every time she gets on audio or camera, her exit is always, and this is Rachel Nichols, ESPN, and just drags it out and makes an ass of herself. Why did she do that? Was it underhanded racism? Was she playing at the N-word? I don't know, but I've heard, based on what you told me earlier today, is that Rachel Nichols potentially finding herself in a bit of, as the British would say, a controversy. (laughs) Right. I think to answer that question, though, I think journalists, when they're younger or when you're getting onto the scene, you just try to stand out and you're on TV. You just try to do stuff to, to get noticed more. And it worked. Granted that and her awesome red hair and amazing body. I'm not trying to say that out loud, but yes, if you're listening, Rachel, I would. Um, so with that being said, Rachel, if you're listening, I would not. So you're a 50, 50, babe. I fine. less competition. Um, (laughs) Rachel has been assigned to the bubble, the NBA bubble. And in that bubble, she's got her own hotel room. And this is where it ties into Aaron Andrews, which I'll let you explain to the listeners. But, um, when she left her room to go and do, you know, her usual reporting on the day, when she came back, what had happened while she was gone was that someone had bugged the room and put some uh, microphones in there and were actually recording her once she got back to her room that night. And although the audio hasn't leaked, although I know it exists somewhere on the dark web and probably Illuminati Mike has it as his ringtone right now, wow. is that <laughs> she is basically uh, called out for being extremely a fraud. I mean, and she's just not authentic at all. And uh, she comes off as being a total bitch and uh, she's anti-player and the persona that she portrays on TV and audio couldn't be more polar opposite to, I guess, what her natural personality is like uh, when no one's watching. So I don't know enough about her. I've seen her reports and I just cannot get over the tone of her nasally voice. I just can't stand it one bit. So usually I tune out mentally, if not actually physically change the channel. But what's her demeanor on screen for those who aren't really dialed in with Rachel Nichols? I feel like she's got that kind of feigned enthusiasm where like, I was talking with Greg Popovich and he said, but you're saying behind the scenes, she's like, I fucking hate Popovich. That guy is sexy and he won't give me any love. Yeah, I think on screen, she's probably Beverly Hills 90210. Off screen, it appears that she might just be a combination of Hillary Swank Freedom Riders and Meg Ryan in Dangerous Minds. Hillary Swank was in Dangerous Minds. Was she not? No. Kyle, check that. Was she a student? I think Meg Ryan was the, uh, the teacher there. Hillary Swank was Freedom Riders, the teacher. That was kind of like the more 2.0 version of Dangerous Minds. Let's check this. I'm willing to bet my feature on this show. If I'm wrong about this, give me a two-week suspension. Kyle, 
Dangerous Minds on the double. Okay, you already got it. Dude, that's why you're a pro. That's why you're a pro. So starring Michelle Pfeiffer. Not Meg Ryan. And George, how do you pronounce that? Dezunza? I think that's Coolio. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you get your drugs this week. Yeah, Dezunza hooked it up. Listen, that was a $23 million budgeted movie in the box office. Made almost $180 million. Not bad. Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer on your Pfeiffer. 100%. Um, so, yeah, tell us what happened with Aaron Andrews and how this all connects. We go down a lot of holes and we, we enjoy finding our way out. Well, Aaron Andrews is a classy, classy professional, highly intelligent, incredibly articulate, was dominating the NC2A sideline game for quite some time. A number of years ago, probably about five years ago, maybe even longer, to be honest with you, to be quite frank, she was recorded by an incredibly brave pervert who had a hotel across from hers, and the world got to see just how incredible this gal keeps her form. Because A, as a baseline, She's well put together, but she's also putting in the hours. Anywho, she comes out with a power statement where she's saying, listen, I know I've got the looks, but that's not what my brand's about. I want it to be about the sports. I want my credibility to be a reflection of my analysis, my mind, my relationships, rather than being known as the hot sideline reporter. And so I love that. She ended up suing the guy, winning a ton of money. I'm not entirely sure what she's doing right now, but what a pro. And you know that's not the Rachel Nichols style approach where you said it on our inaugural conversation on the Darby cast, the episode Locker Room Talk, where Rachel Nichols has done some things that most people wouldn't be very proud of. ESPN. But I also think what you're saying specific to you is that no one would pay any amount of money to catch Rachel Nichols naked in a hotel room. (laughs) Right. She's in the bubble and she's got her windows wide open, (laughs) not covered in the slightest. And no one has taken a peek except for me. Well, but you know what? Let's go back to Erin Andrews for just one second. Sure. Do you recall when she was covering the Super Bowl? And right after, I don't know what Super Bowl it was, but of most recent when, uh, what was it? The Seattle Seahawks beat the Niners and Crabtree got completely denied. And then you had the Sherman, the DB, who was seconds after making a game-stopping Super Bowl winning play. He gets approached by Aaron Andrews on the sideline, like right in the heat of the moment. And Aaron Andrews asks him about like the details on that play. And he is so fired up, like six racks of Coke fired up. And he gets in her face and is like, you know, I was a sorry ass receiver. Don't throw that my way. Expect it. And he just got into it and just started like cursing towards her, not at her. And uh, for the next like two, three days, it was a very dicey racial conversation about how a white woman was interviewing a black man who is just, you know, dreads fully, fully, fully just torqued and heated and just how they talked about like, you know, 
what his tone was like, whether she was safe or not. It was kind of, it was a little weird. Who was talking about this story? Because is that even a story? Oh, it, it definitely player... was a story. No, I think about that. And just based on the details that you're telling me, I think about that as probably a story that Rachel Nichols blew wide open, right? <laughs> 100%. Where, where she just wanted to be part of the conversation. It was more about her than it was about Aaron. She was trying and, to cross over from the NBA to the NFL. And is it that surprising that if you make a game-winning play in the biggest game of your entire life, that you would be a little bit emotionally scattered and super hyped? I don't see... What did they think was going to happen? Is I, that he was just so excited that he was going to start punching her in the face? Because I don't generally see that happening. Richard Sherman... Where did he go to school? He went to Stanford. A, yeah, he went to Stanford. He's a relatively sharp guy, not sharp enough to avoid being the spokesperson for pistachios, which I've never <laughs> understood. But I just don't see where the controversy is there. It's just Rachel Nichols trying to stir one up. It doesn't exist. I'll cross that even to another scenario where a black athlete was put in a position and then a lot of negative press came out the next day. And what else would, could you expect? a la Cam Newton after losing to the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. And his post-game press conference was all of about two minutes because he just essentially lost on the largest stage of his life, let down his team, let down the state, let down the community, and had a bad game. He and, let down all those kids at the Boys and Girls Club or something. Go that, on. No, that's right. And so, uh, you know, he gave the, the media essentially zero attention and was pretty much called a poor sport and was called, you know, a guy that couldn't face the music, was ripped off of Wheaties boxes, et cetera. And probably the reputation that he has today all stems from that one incident. And they just raked him through the coals. And I don't think that's entirely too fair. What do you expect the guy to do? A hundred percent. I think holding somebody to that kind of standard, listen, I've never been one to take a loss and start high-fiving and be like, all right, let's go to the pizza joint. Let's celebrate. You know, it's funny. I worked with this guy. His name's Adrian. And he coached a Pop Warner team. And this will segue into something that I know you want to talk about because you're a Pop Warner guy. But he coached a Pop Warner team. He took his kid and their team all the way to the championship on some pretty high-level coaching. Adrian, good dude. Very high intensity. but. They lost the game, his team, all the kids, they were hanging their heads. And his son asked him, dad, do we, are we going to have a pizza party? Adrian looked his kid in the eye and said, hell no, we're not. You're not a champ. And you better remember how this feels. You come back and you work harder. You're not getting a trophy. He took the participation trophies and he burned them in front of the kids. <laughs> And it's like that'll send a message and like a second place trophy. That's still a good show. Something to be proud of. No doubt. Not necessarily. If you I ain't first or last. Yeah. Well, the old silver medal, like you're the first loser. Nobody lost ahead of you. That sort of thing. But how much do you respect that? That's a what a coach holds his youth players to to teach him a hard, honest lesson early. but. I think when you lose a big game, it's fair to have a negative emotional response to it because of all of the hard work that's gone into it. The fact that you're the quarterback, not only have you disappointed 
a ton of others, but you're disappointed in yourself. And to try to mask that entirely, I guess that's what a lot of these athletes get trained on because there was a time probably in the 90s, early 2000s, when sports interviews really got off the rails before PR caught up with the level of interviews that ESPN wanted to disco, right? I'm following you. I'm aligned. Yeah. So I have no problem with Cam hanging his head, but his redemption arc, you're right. He hasn't had one yet, and we'll see if he can do it this year in New England. You're darn right. And let me take our listeners back to just a, a quick sideline personal story to tie into that. You and I played ping pong late last week, I'd say probably seven to 10 days ago. Right. I lost both of those games to the tune of 21-19. I think we went to overtime another game, 22-20, something like that. Yeah. I haven't been able to, uh, haven't been able to sleep since. And that night that uh, we did order pizza, uh, fun story. I did not partake in that pizza. I think I had a side salad, not because it was a personal choice for health, but self-punishment. And that's heart of a champion, right? But yeah. let's move into, I think we're on to the next thing. And this is going to be kind of a non sequitur, but loosely related to what we just talked about. And I want to talk sports gambling because with sports shut down in the way that they have been, you talk about the sports organizations, the players, the sideline reporters, but we haven't really touched upon the experience of the fans and the fans with whom I'm most concerned, hardcore gambling addicts who just want to roll the dice and bet their kids' college savings on on the bills by five. Right. On a coin toss prop bet. Right. What color is the Gatorade in the splash of the coach at the end of the game? I think a lot of vices, quite frankly, have been canceled or at least postponed. It's a greater conversation for our society, no less the sports culture, which we'll dive into. But if you think about it, bars have been shut down. Strip clubs have been shut down. You've got sports, you no know, gambling. Um, you got to wonder what everybody's doing. I mean, there's probably a lot of other awful things that folks are resorting to now as a result of not being able to, you know, get their rocks off on on their simple pleasures. But yeah, I think when it comes to sports, there was a story we were talking about where a news article came out, I think a year, year and a half ago, where there was peewee football. And this was in the South, uh, no less. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean in this context. Football's big in the South. What are you trying to infer? So essentially, the head coach was a father of a player on the team. And this Pop Warner football community had about 10 teams in it. And each week when the teams were playing, there were high stakes betting going on to the tune of $30,000, $40,000 a game. And local mafia and gangs were getting in on it and betting on the games. And there Big was a mafia presence down in uh, Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some darker Italians down there. Okay. You know, Sicilians. But anyways, there was a sting operation. FBI got in. Fathers were telling their kids to lose intentionally just to sway certain games for money. It was a bad look. These kids are like seven, eight years old. How weird of an assignment must that have been in the FBI briefing room when your boss looks at you and be like, Johnson, we've got a Pop Warner situation going down and it smells as fishy as can be. Get in there, figure out what's going on, have fun, but do your job. <laughs> have fun. Yeah, that had to be a mess. But that's just kind of, 
an example of how gambling in our society and sports and uh, how degenerate we can be. So between Korean baseball and uh, soccer with no fans and and horse tracks right now, that's about all that we've got. I mean, horse racing is a great way to lose a bunch of money. And I think if you're a problem gambler or just a sports fan in general, fantasy football has become easily the most pervasive gambling operation in the United States, just in terms of its ubiquity, not necessarily the highest stakes, because I still think that's happening with your traditional bets at a Vegas sports book in terms of sheer dollar amount. But in terms of the number of players, and there's so many annoying new fantasy football players who just have no idea what's going on, and they like to model their entire league after the show, the league, Got and they it. think they're all like quirky and be like, oh my gosh, you're such, you're the taco of our league. And it's like, get the, get out, just get out. I've been playing fantasy. I started in 2001 and it's changed a lot since then, but people's desire to gamble. I think that has just been jacked up to a ridiculous level. I mean, you want to talk about one of our friends, he plays Madden, right? And that has a gambling mechanism built into it that's football, where you buy these little loot packs and card packs, and there's a random chance that you'll get some Bo Jackson card that's going to just tap dance all over your online opponent. And you're building the variable schedule of rewards, which totally hijacks the brain. And you could go into this in a big way. I won't. But I think to speak to your point, with things being shut down, how are people's vices changing? Because it's probably not as though people are doing away with gambling, substance abuse, you name it. It's probably just changing. It's probably becoming more prevalent in the home, especially during quarantining. They talk about, obviously, opioid overdosing. They talk about domestic violence. They talk about you know, sexual abuse, et cetera. I think it's just, it's becoming more magnified around the people that they're forced to be around. You know, it's an awful set of circumstances, but that's what happens when you've got folks that are in power forcing people to, you know, essentially not go back to work or not be able to live life as normal. It's just highlighting that. So, yeah. We don't have our normal outlets, our normal diversions. It really peels back the layers where you see okay, what are the things that really matter to people when you aren't placated by the bread and circuses? When you're not fat and happy, drunk and entertained, how do you get your kicks? You try to find other entertainment and you start drinking more. I think that's kind of what's going down. Well, that's why Dan Snyder and others are getting their entertainment mailed to them. Just a... $10 Ikea DIY cabinet that is going to run them 15K. 15K. And then you buy the book for another 15K. So you know exactly what's in that, uh, in that piece of furniture. And then you just uh, place your order, wait by the phone, wait by the door and knock, knock. Wouldn't it be solid if you and I did a sting operation, threw ourselves in some kind of dog shit looking <laughs> cabinet. Ikea cabinet? got shipped to some billionaire fat cat's house. Right. 
pop out and just be like, listen, man, I got to tell you, I'm actually eight years old. I've got the Benjamin Button thing going on. Don't let my looks deceive you. You send the text to Chris Matthews and Chris Matthews pops in and says, uh, Mr. Snyder, why don't you go ahead and have a seat right over there? Why don't you just go have a seat? And then he's like, wait, this kid who looks like a 33-year-old man isn't a child with Benjamin Button? Let me ask you a question. If you were one of those uh, socialites that had the ability and power to order one of those boxes, if I somehow threw Rachel Nichols in that box, would you send it back? You know how upset I would be if Rachel Nichols showed up? Not in a cabinet. I mean, just anywhere. If I saw her, I would, you know, I've never slugged a chick, right? (laughs) (laughs) But like just that hard drag of her quiet racism when she's, you know what she probably does? I'm Rachel Nichols, ESPN, word. And she just says word off camera and Rachel Nichols big racist you heard it here first until that audio leaks out from that room honestly there's nothing to disprove it I mean that's how things are going in today's day and age where it's guilty until proven innocent and once an accusation's made it's set in stone it burden of proof is on the individual who's accused to defend themselves so Rachel Nichols, we're on to you. We know what you've been doing. What a mess. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think that might wrap it up for the Darby cast. Monday well, sports edition. You know, we always like to take a little uh, trip down roads that are not necessarily on the map. So thank you for hanging with us and for finding new lands. Chris Columbus, Indians, Dan Snyder, Redskins. It's all here. Michael Vick, Ron Mexico, dogfighting. Moonballs. John Elway. Exactly. All right. Darby Cast. We'll be back. Economics Wednesday.